0: Hello and welcome to episode two of our learning teaching podcast. If you haven't yet listened to episode one, could you please uh, uh, go on to SharePoint and you'll find it there. It's hosted on Anchor, where we talk about learning, intentions and success criteria. And I think it'd be a very good listen for you. For today, however, we're looking at the topic of questioning and I'm joined by Gary Blackhall and Joanne O'Donnell. So I'd like to start off by asking, asking the team, how often do you question pupils within a lesson?
1: Well, for me, I think it's something that you do all the way through the lesson, from the start to the very, very end. It's a way of, you know, finding out what the pupils know. It's a way of facilitating discussion. It's a way of, you know, you know getting some diagnostic information about how the pupils are progressing. So I think, you know... At the very beginning you're checking to see if you understand the instructions that were given. When you're during your lesson you're asking, you know, how are you getting on? Is everything still okay? Is it anything you found that you haven't understood? You maybe check at the end to make sure that they're kinda of understood um, and they're happy with the, the with the, the topic as a whole. You're always gonna have your kind of your questions, your kind of hinge point questions that you're you are you are using there to kinda of ascertain a whole class, uh, the whole class understanding. Uh, so for me it's something that I find that I, I'm I'm regularly doing like constantly questioning. I feel like I'm doing when I'm teaching.
2: I would agree. Constant questioning um, throughout the lesson. I use a lot of questioning at the start to check that they are where I want to where I want them to be before we move on to the next part of the lesson, whatever it might be. So I would say that it is constant throughout the lesson.
0: So do you say that questions you both mentioned questioning at the start? Do you say that's just to. Uh, link to prior learning before you go on to check for understanding.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's to kind of bring the prior knowledge back to the, f- the forefront of the memory. You know, maybe ask them, "What was it we did last time? What mm-hmm. did we do before? Remember, we looked for my subject. Maybe we did angles before. What do we know about angles already? And then just kind of just to bring that kind of prior knowledge, kind of tease it out of them. So it, it, it's it's there. That they remember. I think, all oh, right, okay, that's something that I remember now. Or if, if it turns out that they can't remember it, that's something you think, well, actually, I can't actually progress with my lesson just now. If they don't understand it, if they can't remember that just now, I'm maybe going to have to spend a couple of minutes just revisiting that before I kind of push on with what I plan to do this period.
2: Yeah, I think questioning for us in social subjects is really important as well because we've got a lot of shared classes. So um, you need to double check because you haven't questioned them yourself, that they have learned and they're ready to go on. So you need to just for yourself as well make sure that you question them effectively, so that you're then ready to move on.
0: Absolutely. No, I'm thinking moving on to kind of the types of questions you ask. So we've we've kind of covered there about kind of beginnings of lessons, finding out where they are prior. Mm-hmm. I mean, what types of questions are they? Are they like whole class questions, and you get one or two people, or do you target your questions to specific individuals?
1: Again, I think it's a mixture. It depends on the topic I'm teaching. It depends on like, the class dynamic. It depends on how the class are kind of working. Um, you know, I'll, I'll have questions where I will pose the question to the whole class and then ask a specific person what, what their opinion is and then maybe bounce that same question to someone else. So that's what they said. Do you agree with that or do you think something different? Or, mm-hmm. you know, is, there, is there something you'd like to add to that? Or you know, do you think they're right? I mean, I, I, I really like getting a wrong answer. Now, you know, it's I put a, like, I've asked a question and I, put, and I get a wrong answer, I write it on the board and say, right, okay, what do we think about that? And, like, kind of won't give on that it's a an wrong u- answer. You can or, use that. And, and, a... use it, and use it as a kind of learning point, you know. And somebody says, no, I've got a different answer. Well, what did you get? We'll write that up as well. And we'll say, right, okay, well, anything else? And then if we get a couple of different answers, we'll kind of use it to kind of talk through it and say, well, you know, we've got different answers here. How could we arrive at these different answers? You know, is one of them correct or any of them correct? If that one's correct, then why is it correct and why the other one's wrong? What are the mistakes that have been made to arrive to these other answers? And use that as a kind of a learning point to kind of try and deepen their understanding of, of the topic. So hopefully then everybody can realise, just, oh, I, I did that as well, or that's what, the, that's what I did wrong, okay, and then use that next time. Rather than just going, right, that's the right answer, brilliant, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's maybe got the wrong answer then doesn't know why they've got the wrong answer. And you can and, help them help understand how they got to that. Address,
2: yeah, I would agree with a lot of that. Um lots of different types of questions. I mentioned a lot of recap questions um just to make sure that we're ready to move on. Um I would ask individual questions. Um a lot of no hands up and and choose certain pupils so that they know that they need to be on the ball. Um I would also use a lot of right pop your hand up if you have understood or if you're able to answer if you feel confident answering this question. Um I then would always try and ask a couple of kids so that you don't get the ones who just put their hand up and just because they want to move on and want you to stop talking. Um, but yeah, lots of different types of questions, individual, whole class, um, just so that everybody feels involved and can't kind of shy away from it.
0: Okay, so, come, sticking with the types of questions, so we've, we've covered a few formative assessment technique type questions. Do you make that explicit to the young people when you're asking the questions and try and embed that in your practice with a class? Or if you've got an SD class, you're always going to use a, a certain type of whole class response system or you're always going to use a randomizer. Do you do anything like that?
1: Well, again, I th- I use a, a range. I mean, I use the, the show me boards quite a bit. Um, I've used you know, lollipop sticks um, to, you know, to, to randomly pick people. You know, And even then, you know, if I've used it for not just a questioning for it, like allocating tasks in class, because they know if their name comes out, they have they're expected to give an answer. You know, if if, they're, if you're asking them to hand out materials, like, oh, always hand them out. So your names on it came out. They, they accept that as a fair way of mm-hmm. being selected, rather than you know they think they're always being picked on. Um, so uh, that's that, that's ones that I've used quite uh, used quite a bit. Um, I've used the kind of the name generator or the name picker on the board, but I find that it takes a lot of time. You know, there's a lot of you know we well, setting it up, but then also when you actually press it, there's loads. Of them that I've got one that spins round, and it takes ages for it to actually pick a name. And you're sitting, standing right. I think that's, that's far too much dead time, so I don't use that one anymore. I just mm. found that one just too, too time wasting. Um, but uh, I, I, I think it depends on the class. I like to use a range of various different approaches, so it won't always be the same thing all the time. I like to kind of mix it up a bit and try mm. different things with different people. Yeah,
0: I've kind of stuck with. I've, so I use a. Uh, an app called Idocio 4 where I keep my registers, my lesson plans and everything on it, so it's not as cumbersome as what you were talking yeah. about there, and I just go into the random picker and then it speaks it. It's quite funny, because sometimes you get the, the children's <laughs> children's <laughs> names totally wrong, and you just roll with it. And um, I've used that, and I found that specifically strong with my senior classes, because they just, they just came to accept that I'm going to press the button, and I'm the one that's got got to do it, and as you say, they just accept it, especially yeah. for, you. Yeah, we, we do a lot of tidy up and on the tidy up team, so if you do yeah. it random, then they accept that. But just for keeping their attention, I in terms of my next question, would be what informs your use of of your types of questions and how you go for a specific class and especially for my senior class, I don't want anyone to think they can hide in the class and then you can not offer mm. offer offer some uh, offer their knowledge. And I'll come back to that later because I've got a, I've got a, something that I would like to share later on. And uh, I would click the button and then I'll they would all be have to have an answer or a response. And as you mm-hmm. say, if they get it wrong, I'll use that to then build build the, build the learning for them and others and go, go between.
2: You also want them to feel confident enough to answer. So um, I think it's a fine balance between making sure that every pupil knows that they could be asked but not sitting feeling stressed that they don't know the answer so celebrating the fact that questioning is going to be in every lesson at every point of the lesson and that as you said celebrating wrong answers well how can we work our way through it because i would I would really hate to think if there was any people that was sitting in my class you know quaking in their boots because they they know that I might pick on them for a for an answer yeah. so uh, we've um we use cooperative learning quite a lot in social subjects and one of the ways to get around that is um Given each pupil in the group a role and you could say right well I'm looking for my speaker to answer this question on behalf of the group so it's a collective mm-hmm. question and so that kind of takes away that stress for them because it is a group answer if they get it wrong it's not on them
1: And I think that thing about the allowed to be wrong is a big thing if they know that if they get a wrong answer it, it, they're not going to be kind of singled out and you know pointed at and laughed at if they get something wrong that you know being wrong is just part of the learning if you kind of encourage the kind of the wrong answers uh, you know, and make sure that there isn't a kind of negative reaction to, to a wrong answer, it really does help with the, the kind of confidence there of them yeah. actually giving an answer where they act when they're asked to. I think
2: that links into whatever. what you'd said about putting a wrong answer on the board, mm-hmm. um, and I'm trialling that just now, so making mistakes in an answer and asking the pupils to work it out. Basically, they're, they're marking a, a past paper question that I've written myself so that they can pick out an, uh, wrong answers and correct them, yeah. and that will maybe make them feel a bit more confident with... Mm-hmm. Um, doing it themselves, if they do make a mistake, they're not wrong, they just haven't learned to get it right yet.
1: Yeah, because sometimes that, I, mean, I myself sometimes deliberately put up a wrong answer. Yeah. So I'll say, here's my, here's my explanation, and then what do we think about that? And then get them to kind of point out the fact that, that I was wrong, yeah. that I was the one that made the mistake, and why was that wrong? And you know, do that but just to show them again that anyone can make mistakes, to so reinforce yeah. that, and but also to kind of encourage them to, to notice, to not just accept everything they see as being, you know, correct all the time, you know. Hang on a second, I think that I'm right and I think that's wrong. And I'll be able to kind of build that confidence to kind of, kind of point it out and think, no, I, I understand this, I know what I'm doing here, that doesn't make sense to me, that, I think that's wrong, and build that confidence to, and to actually speak out on yeah. that point. And I time. think
0: that speaks to what you were saying earlier about the, the safe space that we want to create in yeah. our lessons. That if, if they can build the skill of identifying what's wrong, that's going to build their confidence, and then they're going to gain in confidence, especially as they head towards that mm-hmm. senior phase in their exams. Um, so kind of moving on to, do you think that your questions challenge young people? And what I mean by that is, I ask a lot. Of, I've had a big look at my own practice, and I ask a lot of questions that are maybe at your remembering stage, and I maybe don't ask enough of your creating or your applying in terms of our Bloom's taxonomy. I mean, I ask a lot of very simple questions, and in the past I've been satisfied by that. You know, by giving a teaching point, you know, we're we're into our athletic season just now, teaching them the technique of the javelin. Where do you you put your weight before you're going to throw it in the know, right? Because I've just taught it, whereas that's a remembering thing. I was not actually applying it. So what what do you guys take on that?
2: I completely agree with that. It's something I really need to look at is moving up Bloom's Taxonomy. Um, I'm very guilty of asking a lot of, do you understand that? Yes, brilliant. I've done it right. Let's move on. That is not helpful for anyone. That is not actually... a a decent question the kid just says yes and you take that and then you move on Um, so I think I definitely do need to get better at asking questions that are going to cause them to think allowing them that thinking and waiting time and not just seeing it as something that I need to do before I can move on actually making it more part of the lesson and adding it into lesson plans and uh, materials that we use rather than it being ad hoc at the moment I would say that my question is ad hoc um, which might be reducing the challenge because I'm not putting as much thought into it as I could.
0: And then that's, that's not doing testament to the teacher skill that we've developed over time, because over, t- over time, since since starting as a student teacher over time, your questioning will have improved, have improved significantly just mm-hmm. just because of the experience you gain. But as you say, maybe, the, maybe there's a lot of questions where you're kind of, not wasted questions, but you're asking questions because it's just what we do whereas they will have not maybe not thought enough about right I want to ask this question this question because I want to elicit this sort of evidence of learning from from the young people I think
1: there's also sometimes been I've found occasions where I know what response I want to get from them and it's just trying to work out what question it is that you've got to ask to get that so you can ask the question you think is going to get the, the 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 response and it's not and I think right okay that's not what I wanted right what am I going what how am I going to get this answer that I'm looking for here and try and reword my question I found myself a, a few times you know standing in front of the class going, no, well, what about if this, and just kind of try to change the wording of my question differently to try and get to where they want, because obviously the question I'm asking, maybe is isn't, you know, being understood the way I would hope to be understood by the pupils, and just sometimes, you know, you to kind to of, kind of adapt it on the hoof, sometimes to kind of to kind of get to where you want to be.
2: That kind of links yeah. into the last tapestry reading, um, and I'm very guilty of that myself. This is the answer that I'm looking for you to give me, and if it's not that answer, it's incorrect. Whereas the reader made a really good point that they may well be correct. It's just that not in our, you know, for example, marking scheme or what we're looking for, what they're saying isn't correct, but it might still have a lot of value. So it, it yeah. is difficult. Yeah,
1: it's it's it's, it's trying because you know what where you want your pupils to be when they leave. So you're trying to kind of get to them to that stage. So there's maybe like a bit you think right. I need you to realise this. Yeah. How am I going to coax that out of you without you knowing that I'm trying to drag that yeah. out of you?
0: Um So in, in terms of terms of that, we're kind of a lot of kind of the examples i've gave have been more to senior senior phase classes and you mentioned marking schemes there what about with our, our s1 two and three classes our, our broad general phase and our, and our question our questioning there maybe i am mean, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of putting too much of an emphasis on the planning for the senior phase but maybe my s1 class haven't had the same planning but it's not to say that they've not had, had a great experience but maybe they don't get the same weight in terms in terms of planning which is when you mentioned and marking schemes there. I mean, do you have feel like you have a bit more space to go? So if a young person offers a, a response in CS one, do you have do you feel a bit more flexibility to then explore that further by go, going deeper into your question?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think you know in the, the the junior phase, there's not the emphasis on you know there's a certain point you need to reach in the year where they have to have known so much. You know, we, we, it's, there's a lot more flexibility in, in terms of the courses and stuff like that. So I do feel in the kind of junior phase that there's more scope there for exploring things and things that come up kind of um, during the lessons and think, right, okay, that's something we're going to kind of develop there. It's not what I'd planned to do in the first instance, but that's what's come up during the lesson. I, I've got that kind of scope there to kind of, to kind of go down that kind of rabbit hole with them and kind of find out what it is that they're, that, that they're thinking is and, you know, and hopefully coming back to kind of get to our end point, but maybe just not by the, the path I'd initially planned. to might take you know, a, a, an extra lesson or two because mm. of, of, of what's developed during the course of the lesson. But I think there is that flexibility there in the junior phase that maybe isn't there in the senior phase because of you know pre- exam day. pressure and yeah. unit assessments and things like that that are, that, that, are, that are currently present.
2: Yeah, I would totally agree. A lot more flexibility in the BGE that just um, allows you to use what you learned from the question and to inform your next few lessons. And as you said, it might go off on a bit of a tangent, but that's absolutely fine because you've got um, less pressure and a bit more time
0: okay so thinking about the the questions we've, we've the question we've spoken about do you, anyone does anyone prepare questions in advance and if you do that how much time do you put into the planning of your questions because you mentioned earlier hinge point questions and that came out is is a feature from since our last tapestry workshop that you said that you mentioned and um there's a lot of, st- lot of staff especially and myself included who you know, a, a hinge point question, am I getting it right? Can I do it? Do I know how to do it? And, you know, this is yeah. going to take a lot of thinking for me to get this right, to to get the exact point in the lesson to do it. I mean, so, but maybe not just thinking about that, but just your questions in general, do, do you prepare them, and how much time do you print?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I prepare like my, the questions that I give the pupils, and they, I think, you know, what is I want to know, so I kind of, kind of try and build them up as we go through. And maybe do you, like, kind of chunks of work so maybe do a couple of different examples now you're going to try a couple of these questions then i'm going to you know change the question slightly how and then kind of talk them through you how, the, how is this different um the, the the kind of hinge point question is something that that um that i hadn't really kind of gave much thought to before kind of the, the previous kind of tapestry stuff that we did um i think i was very guilty of kind of maybe towards the end of the lesson throwing up a, a really difficult question, a really challenging question, maybe like a, like a pass paper question or something like that, and saying, right, this is on the topic we've just done here just now. How, how can we can we answer this? And I think with the thought at the time was, you know, if they can see they can do the really hard question based on the knowledge they have, then that's going to give them a real boost. But obviously doing the tapestry thing, that could be, have a real negative effect, you know, all of a sudden they leave, they've spent most of the period thinking they know what they're doing, then they get a hard question, and they think, actually and I don't understand this at all, and, and they leave thinking, and, you know, is that the, I hadn't thought about that, I've always been thinking, you know, let's try and push them and show them how great they can be if they, if they can achieve this question, I hadn't really thought about the kind of the other side of it, that if they didn't get it, then they're going to be leaving thinking they don't understand the topic at all, and maybe they, that period's just kind of been thrown at the window by that last question I've asked, so that's one thing I've, I've, I've been doing now, I say, I'm not doing that anymore, I'm not chucking up the the, kind of the hard challenge question kind of at the end Uh, because it was something I definitely did beforehand and just after doing that the the reading in that tapestry workshop and stuff I thought that's me I I, I do that (laughs) I'm going to stop that now I'm going to stop that now
2: I think um, I do prepare questions in advance um, and in social subjects I think we put a fair amount of time into it because we have to teach um, the range of social subjects at BGE we put a lot of effort into our lesson planning, so that you can pick it up if you're a non-subject specialist. So a lot of the questions are built into the lessons. So there is a fair amount of time being put into it. Um, I do think that, again, we're we're guilty of it being at your, your lower level of Bloom's taxonomy. So I do think that more time could be put into hinge point questions. And um, the difficulty with that in the BGE phase is that because it, every class is different. It might be a bit difficult to, for example, put that into your lesson plan that everyone is going to use for the same class. So that's where the difficulties come in social subjects, I think.
0: Because mm-hmm. especially if you're teaching a, a class that's not that's in modern studies and you're a geography teacher and you're yeah. like, well, I don't really know the answer to that myself, so I'm just going to try and exp- explore.
2: Yeah, it or if you've got a class um, that is, you know, maybe lower ability, then that hinge point question is at the wrong level at the wrong.
1: Would you can also have quite a wide range of ability in a class like that yeah. as well? So that, that question you've got kind of be pitching for the middle all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. it, 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 it can be, be quite
2: thing. difficult. Hinge point questions are something that I think I have overthought and just been a bit overwhelmed by. Mainly because of if it's a a subject that you're not confident in, and the fact that the classes are so mixed ability, um, I think it's something that maybe to start for myself in modern studies it higher level and then maybe try to filter it down mm-hmm.
0: to juniors i think uh, especially with them i think you need to, to have a lot of a time to think right what do, what do i want the children to know by that point in the lesson and then if i ask this question what happens after that yeah. you know because you could get the point and you can have 70 percent of your class get it 30 percent of your class not get it and that doesn't mean that you move on because yeah. what about the 30 mm-hmm. percent so uh, we're gonna mention a, lo- a little bit um since our last tapestry work, work, workshop has your question or your or your Teaching your teaching changed in any way?
1: Yeah, I mean I think spending a lot more time thinking about the type of question that I'm asking now. Like I said, I've already mentioned, you know, I'm not doing that kind of challenge question at the end, that's 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 in the bin now. Um, but certainly things like um, I used uh, I've used clickers in the past mm-hmm. and you know I would have like, different obviously it's, it's multiple choice answers and I was starting to think would multiple choice be the right way to go? Um, because obviously it gives you that opportunity to, or for the pupils to just guess an answer, you know. And and I, and I don't want them to get it right just by having you know, a twenty-five percent chance of getting it right just by guessing, because mm-hmm. um, that's going to give you kind of a kind of skewed idea as to how many people have actually got the right answer. So I've kind of moved kind of more towards the the show me boards and stuff like that, so I can have a look just round and see everybody's answers quickly and see that, fine, so put them down now and then. I get a better idea there and then of. Who knows? What, it, and then when you go into it. a task, you can Yeah, and and then, and, then, and, then, and, then, and, then, and when we start, I thought those are the people I'm going to go and speak to first. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they're when they're when they're working away. Um, whereas with the pickers, but you know, it's if they don't know what they're doing, then they, they have to pick something. You know, so you might end up with a few kind of false, uh, false correct answers. Ah, yeah, if you, whereas yeah. if, the, if the people you know, say if, if they don't understand, if they don't have an answer to the question on a show, we'll just put a question mark on it. So I, I see who's got question marks, they don't have a clue, they're not sure what they're doing at all, go and see them first. I've got some people that have got incorrect answers, I'll go see them next. The ones that have got the correct answers, I'll leave them and I'll check them after I've seen other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it just allows me to kinda a bit more detail, a bit more kinda planning my way around the class a bit more how targeted, a, targeted approach yeah. to who you go and see. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, I said previously that encouraging wrong answers, putting wrong answers on the board is something that I've tried to do a lot because it generates a discussion and through that discussion you can then work out well are they understanding this for the right reason and multiple choice is something that I'd also identified this is not working for me because they'll guess because they don't want to say they don't know. So we've started doing um, multiple, I've started doing in my own classes is multiple choice with more than one correct answer and encouraging them to look around the room And at the moment, especially with first years, they're automatic as, I don't have the same as someone else, therefore I'm wrong, and trying to encourage that discussion of, well, why are we both right? Why do these answers both make sense? Why are they both correct? Um, And that, I'm hoping, will encourage them to not be, oh, so-and-so's put D, so I need to put the same. Um, and just be a it's bit more I think confident think a little bit more
0: and be more confident in, it's you know, even, confidence even though and the, myself and Gary have got different answers we're both right, yeah. we're just taking yeah. it from a different angle
2: because yeah. I do totally agree with multiple choice so that's something that I'm trying to change um, really to build that confidence because it is something that I am seeing especially in, in the junior classes and you want to try and encourage them for when they do move on to the senior phase with I their confidence. I think
0: that's something that's came through quite a lot in today and in the last one and especially in our in our context, in our community, is that the confidence of the young people want to build the confidence of the young people so that they can they can answer questions, they can be braver when they're in class and go, I think I know, but I'm not I don't necessarily know. And one of the things that stuck out to me from the last reading was um and I mentioned earlier about my randomizer and going around the class and it will come up and it'll say say Joanne and, and Joanne will go, I don't know and I'll just move on, I'll click it again, and it'll say, Gary, Gary yeah. will give me the answer, but what I, can I, from early on in the chapter, was not accepting, I don't know, mm-hmm. and that's something mm-hmm. that definitely happened in, my, in the last couple of months of my, in my lessons, and I've, I've seen a, a subtle difference, because mm-hmm. rather than s- accepting this, I'll be like, I'll come back to you, go to a couple of other people, like, you've mentioned, you briefly mentioned that technique earlier, and go to another couple of people, and then come back and go, now what do you think? Yeah and then they've listened and they've gained, they've gained confidence and it doesn't matter if you say I don't know and it's kind of that idea oh, I'll say I don't know because then Ryan say it and Josh will say it and i will come back to me and I'll go I'll just say what they say because it's, it's bright soon but then they're also kind of being a bit more braver in terms of I'll just give it a go, you know, mm-hmm. and give it a go and I definitely start, started to see that with my, with my S4 and my, S- my S3 classes as it went on.
2: Yeah, I'm very guilty of that moving on from a don't know answer and quite a lot of the time you think you probably do It's as just a confidence thing and if you don't that's okay but that's something that we need to build that ethos in our classroom needs to be open and welcoming and welcoming wrong answers
1: yeah it needs, it needs to be okay to be mm-hmm. wrong you know mm-hmm. it needs to be encouraged it's a it's you know it's a, it's a big point a big part of learning is making mistakes mm-hmm. getting things wrong and that's something that they can be quite quite afraid of doing is yeah. getting things wrong especially in a room of their peers you know they don't want to see to be to not understand what it is they're doing when you think everybody else maybe does understand it. Yeah. Quite a difficult thing. I well,
0: think if we can get them to understand that everybody in the room, just yeah. no, they don't all know. It's like yeah. for some somewhere between the age, but when you start primary school and start secondary school, you lose that kind of yeah. ability just to throw uh, your hand in the yeah. air. and You, you some see s- it from some the start re- of
2: first year to the end. When, you know, when they come in, they're so enthusiastic. Primary school really does help boost that confidence and we really need to take a bit of responsibility to maintain that and channel it so that they don't lose it by the time they get to second year.
0: Absolutely. Well, um I think I'm gonna bring the bring the podcast to a close. It's been a, a great, great discussion around questioning, and I'd like to thank both Joanne and Gary for agreeing to be part of that. And I hope that staff are are enjoying the the podcast. And if you have any questions for any of the members of staff that have taken part please don't hesitate to knock on the door and ask them because I'm sure they'll be willing to discuss it, discuss it further and, and share any of the ideas and topics that have been discussed today. Thank you very much for listening.